Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight, for you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. Amen. I remember as a high schooler, I struggled to figure out my faith, like a pendulum swinging from rants about God's death and the arcane nature of the church to intense moments of pietism. One Lent, I found myself swung to one such end, settling into the practice of fasting on Fridays, nothing but clear liquids for the day. My hunger seeming holy, my suffering sanctified. As a teenager in America, the commodification of bodies and the preferential treatment for the pervasively thin is rubbed in our faces as ashes are marked on our foreheads at the start of Lent. We are marked by this message too, though perhaps in more insidious ways. I conflated my own anxiety and insecurity around size with spiritual depth. We've all done it. Mixed the messages of a faith centered in love with a world's messages about striving, performing, pretending. In her book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, Duke Divinity School professor Kate Bowler writes how Christ didn't die for us to give up chocolate or sugar. Lent is not our diet plan. It's not about hating our bodies. It's about finding out how we can truly let God's love seep into every fiber, every pound, every inch of our being, freeing us to love others too. It might seem strange to be reading this story about what could be conceived of as excess during the season of Lent, a time that is so often equated with fasting and holy giving ups. But maybe having this passage from John is actually the perfect thing to read during Lent, because it asks us a question that has been pervasive for us throughout this season. How do we live an examined life? How do we live intentionally in what we let go of and in what we take on? Here we see Jesus even wrestle with the question, what is the right thing to do in this moment? My hour has not yet come, he tells his mother. But here the holy and the right thing isn't to wait to some other better time but to bring joy here and now. I love in this passage that Jesus used the water that was set aside for ritual purification. Maybe our acts of celebration too are acts of purification. They cleanse us and renew us. See, celebration is a holy thing. It is a recognition that life is precious and temporal. This message was abundantly clear for Jesus. 
Jesus is constantly surrounded by crowds in his ministry. They follow him up and down along the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is continually breaking bread and sharing cups. In three short years from this feast, Jesus will be taking a cup of wine, pouring it out, blessing it, and asking the disciples each time they do this to do it in remembrance of him. This is the only party that's mentioned within the Gospels. You have other acts of abundance, the woman buying expensive perfume to anoint Jesus' feet, or the generosity that led to the abundance of the feeding of the 5,000, but this is the one and true only party. Maybe Jesus knew what lay ahead, the hard road that he would walk preaching and teaching to those on the margins, a message that threatened the powerful religious elite and the Roman Empire. Maybe he knew the inevitable end of one who dares to dream of a different world order. And maybe, for the night, he decided to focus on the joy of this wedding. Maybe knowing the end made the joy of the present that much sweeter. It was my first year here at FCCGE, and my husband Dan was working for one year up at a church in the North Shore, up in Lincolnshire. And one summer evening, we were driving home from one of his church events. And it was a lovely event with interesting people, but they weren't our friends. We were only there a year. And while at, while at Divinity School, just months ago, we had this little family of friends that we had collected. We had weekly dinners where we rotated cooking and the kitchen was filled with good smells and singing and dancing and pure joy. And then after graduation, as everyone does, we all left. We started our lives at the different places where we were called to ministry, throwing ourselves into these calls, so excited after these years of study to finally be getting to do this thing. But I will confess, that first year, I was also desperately lonely. And no amount of church events could fill my need for deep friendship. I found myself crying on our drive home that evening. My husband, a little alarmed, saying, well, when we get home, you can watch your friend Leslie Nope trying to fix the situation. See, that year had been one filled with watching parks and recreation instead of messy kitchens and crowded tables. My only friends are TV characters, <laughs> I sobbed as we drove along. It happened slowly. Coffee's here, a yoga class there. And three years later on my birthday, sitting at card tables that were sinking into the lawn at the cottage over on Pennsylvania and Western where we used to live, lights strung in the trees, the tables were crowded, and there was food and there was so much laughter. And this was a celebration of life, of, its, of the preciousness and the precariousness of relationships. It was a celebration of 
the bonds that tie us to one another. And we celebrated as the fireflies danced around us and the hot summer sun, this hot summer air clung sticky to our skin. The celebration was sweeter because I had felt its absence in my life. Now I want you to think of the best party that you have ever been to. Was it a wedding like we read about today? Was it a birthday? Maybe a concert? Or was it a just because the day was nice and the company was good kind of party? What made it special? Was it love felt among the folks gathered? Was it that people were allowed to show up just as they were? Was it so out of the ordinary that the magic of the moment brought awe and wonder and amazement? Was it that it was a bunch of strangers gathered together and moved by something? When the world is heavy, as it is so often these days, folks sometimes ask, how can we celebrate at times like these? How can we not celebrate? The act of celebration reminds us that the pain of the world is not all that there is. Celebration is an act of purification. It cleanses us, renews us, sustains us. It is as necessary as air, allowing us to breathe in and through the parts of life that are painful. Dorothy Day, is best known for her role as one of the founding members of the Catholic worker movement. She housed and fed those most in need. Dorothy lived in solidarity with the least of these, but she said this of celebration and the spirit of joy. She said, how necessary it is to cultivate a spirit of joy. It is a psychological truth that the physical act of reverence and devotion make one feel devout. To act lovingly is to begin to feel loving. And certainly to act joyfully brings joy to others, which in turn makes one feel joyful. I believe that we are called to the duty of delight. We are called to the duty of delight. Maybe we, like Jesus, wonder if the hour has yet come. We wonder how we can celebrate in times like these. But maybe in celebration, we too can see miracles. Maybe we can feel ourselves purified and strengthened and renewed. So what do you want to celebrate? This year, I grieve this year, there's also so much to celebrate. I celebrate the birth of my daughter. I celebrate the friends that have become family for park playdates and meals made and care given. I celebrate the beauty of the bulbs coming up out of the cold, dark earth, surviving that long winter. We are called to celebrate the little and the big, the monumentous and the mundane. 
But what I'm reminded in this passage is that sometimes you're called to celebrate in ways that are big and extravagant and over the top. Swimming pools worth of wine over the top. Jesus didn't provide just enough. He provided an abundance. So what are you called to celebrate in a big way? Maybe it's a family reunion. Maybe it's a wedding anniversary. Maybe it's when finally, as a church, we can gather together shoulder to shoulder, singing loud and sharing a meal. Whatever it is, I pray that as that for you, as you celebrate with your heart and with your soul, like those wedding guests in Cana all those years ago, you too will say, now that's a party. And I hope that you too will know that it is also holy. Amen.